G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our grand final preview edition. And as usual, this podcast is proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. I'll tell you what, one thing you wouldn't have been punting on is the possibility of an earthquake in Melbourne measuring, I think, somewhere near six on the Richter scale. And uh, we have run across this phenomenon ourselves in the midst of recording this podcast. So uh, what else can happen in Melbourne town? Uh, People ripping up the uh, city, uh, construction workers running amok, you name it. Uh, God clearly isn't happy. I'll tell you one thing he is happy about, though, that is a grand final for the ages, potentially, between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs over there at Perth's Optus Stadium. We're going to preview it in vast and significant detail, along with a look back at some great grand final memories and all the news that's going on in the footy world as we speak. So uh, a lot on our plates, but uh, boy... I think everyone's still a bit shaky after that uh, tremor in Melbourne this morning uh, as I introduced my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. Finey, did the earth move for you? Under my feet, Rowan. Look, we're movers and shakers, and I guess uh, I'll be moving if this place shakes again. It was, I've got to say, widespread, and uh, I'm sure by the time people listen to this podcast, they would understand that, uh, no quarter of Melbourne, I think, was left unshaken. We, we uh, thanks to Zoom, doing this from Malvern, South Yarra, and it's been put together as we speak in Craigieburn. That covers a fair bit of ground. We're here to talk football, though, Rowan, and we have got, in prospect, I think, one of the great grand finals of all time. Why? Because... The midfields, Franks by the Brownlow medal, counts on Sunday night, full of superstars. These two teams, one trying to break a drought that stretches back 57 years, the other hardly royalty when it comes to filling the chest with premierships, only two to their name, are both hungry and over in Perth, ready to deliver for their long, not necessarily suffering, but let's say patient fans. Well, it's an amazing uh, matchup of teams. Easily the two best teams of the year. I think uh, they sat first and second on the ladder for 16 or 23 rounds. And one or the other was on the very top of the ladder for 21 of those 23 rounds. Clearly the two best teams of 2021. As you say, no flag for the Ds for 57 years. The Bulldogs aiming for just their second in 67 years. So uh, two great sides, evenly matched, 
Uh, you just couldn't have a better matchup. It is a dream grand final for the purists and for the uh, romanticists among us as well. I'll tell you what else is something for the romanticists and the purists, Finey, and that is the best damn hamburger in town. Where do I get it? You're right. That is, I, I'm, that's a really good term, the purist, because the purists know the essential, unfussy, superior product, don't they? They go straight to the source. Well, they'll be putting their source on an Andrews hamburger, the purist's pick. 144, the Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the essential, ideal, famous, award-winning Australian hamburger. I say Australian hamburger. I don't mean beetroot, pineapple, eggs. What I mean is a hamburger that is not in any way reminiscent of the mass-produced products we get brought in here via osmosis from overseas. A good, honest, healthy bite every time. I love you, Andrews. Thank you for your support. And close by, another purist's choice, West Point Properties, because they do nothing more, nothing less than put their heart and soul, eye for detail and quality into every rebuild or renovation. Nick Spar tells them the team know how to get it done. Premiership qualities. Uh, they've got a young man there on the tools, by the way. He never made it to a grand final, did Goose Maguire. He went close. But the team he works for now will take him to the top of the ladder, the boys at West Point. And our other official footyology partner is Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. That includes the English Premier League, where the futures model is currently assessing Chelsea as having a 20.2% chance of what would be their sixth title in 17 Years, my son David will be pretty happy about that. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Stats Insider is best known for their AFL projections and are currently forecasting Saturday's grand final to be a thriller with Melbourne winning by three points, the most common outcome based on all simulations. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything is free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Well, it's been an interesting morning here in Melbourne. The earth has shaken. Let's now shake the football world as we get straight into the news. On Footyology, Newsbeat. Well, the Brownlow medal has been decided, of course, last Sunday night. We haven't spoken to you since then, so uh, only fitting that we have a quick wrap of uh, what ensued and uh, terrific win by Ollie Wines, Port Adelaide's first Brownlow medalist, and he polled a staggeringly high 36 votes, equal or most of any winner, along with Dustin Martin a few years back. Uh, in fact, the number of votes polled by the leaders could be the major talking point from the count 
four players polling 30 votes or more. Marcus Bontempelli, the runner-up, with 33. Melbourne's Clayton Oliver with 31 votes and Carlton's Sam Walsh with 30. But uh, first up, Fonny, great win to the uh, powerfully built Port Adelaide midfielder, Ollie Wines. It was a great win and also really, as we saw the presentation and bust in the afterglow, and I know that you'd be delighted with uh, the strong family connection, how the pull to Achuka remains strong. His parents, his whole family, of course, originally from there, but the brothers and sisters uh, living together, I think in North Melbourne, were overjoyed watching their brother take home Charlie, or at least take it back to where he's staying in Perth. And boy, uh, you can tell us a bit about their parents. They were beaming. In fact, they almost took centre stage, Mother Jan and a dad who needed a nanny nap in the afternoon the day after. It must have been a big night. Uh, Mum, Jane Wines, yes. I uh, had the pleasure of watching a Port Adelaide Gold Coast game in Shanghai back in 2018 with the Wineses and the Eberts and the Byrne Joneses and a fantastic group of people. Jane Wines is one of the real characters of the uh, AFL football family, if you like. She's a ripper. So, yeah, wrapped for them and, yeah, thoroughly deserved win. Uh, it's been a, a great bounce back by him. He had a couple of seasons there where injury uh, got in the way and form declined a bit, but uh, it's just been absolutely outstanding this year. No real surprises in that top few, were there? I mean, I think pretty sure the top five or six pretty much reflected the betting. Um, Clayton Oliver probably robbed of a few votes by Christian Petrarca, who also finished in the top 10. But it's just interesting, and there's been a few theories elaborated upon about the uh, the glut of votes at the top now, finding it's hard to think it's not a consequence of the... Uh, the greater focus the game has now uh, on superstars, I think the amount of attention that they get, uh, and also the sheer numbers of possessions in the game now. I mean, going back 20 years or so, 200 and something possessions per team was the norm. We now see upwards of 400, around 450. And uh, it's just probably guaranteed, if there was ever any doubt, that this is... Uh, the midfielder's medal it will never be won by a key position player because they're just not around the ball often enough. Well, it's not only has those rising possessions guaranteed big numbers for the star players, but also it comes at a time when scoring is diminished and the idea of key forwards getting votes and possibly winning a Brownlow medal by dint of the number of goals they kick is out the window. And I guess, therefore... Key, key position defenders are not considered to have taken a scalp as they used to by keeping a forward down to one or two goals. It doesn't give us much else. Maybe a halfback flanker in the pomp of his career could challenge a midfielder because they do provide a lot of drive. And I guess the, um, for example, surprised that, say, Nick Hind couldn't garner some votes. And given the drive and run, he provided Essendon, why he wouldn't be getting up in the double figures. It just means the focus is fairly and squarely on those midfielders. In fact, the statistic is that the top 10 vote-getters from this year's Brownlow 
made up 23.5% almost of all votes. Yeah, so, that, that, that is interesting. And uh, I, I mean, it's in fairness to the umpires, though, it's merely a reflection of most other awards now, including the Coaches Award. And I, I had a good look at that and I was quite surprised because uh, you'd think, well, the coaches surely more than anyone are going to appreciate the work of defenders and and forwards and negators and, and whatever. But uh, you had a look at the, I think it was the top 20 vote getters in the AFL Coaches Association Award. And I think 18 of them were midfielders. So um, I think if coaches uh, aren't watching their own side, perhaps they get just as seduced by the the major ball winners of the opponents they're playing. I agree. Dylan Grimes will be going through some BNFs shortly. He won the Richmond BNF, but Damien Hardwick wasn't that generous, obviously, in looking at other defenders. Jack Sinclair came second in St Kilda's BNF. I thought clearly their second best player this year. He didn't get any votes, I don't think. It's unfortunately not all encompassing, but fortunately the stars don't fall through the holes in the net. The one thing I would say, though, that the win by Ollie Wines is almost reflective of Port Adelaide's shortcoming this season and why they're not in the grand final. It certainly helps his cause that the only other midfielder that can take votes off him at the moment at Port Adelaide is Travis Boak. So those deeper midfields of the Melbourne, uh, Melbourne and the Bulldogs, which uh, boasted Bontempelli and, of course, Clayton Oliver, who almost won the Brownlow, probably cost their teammates the Brownlow, but that's why they're in the grand final, because of their burgeoning midfields. So that was the Brownlow in 2021. Finally, you mentioned uh, club best and fairest. We've had a few now, and we had another one on Tuesday evening with Essendon deciding the Crichton medal and Zach Merritt winning his third Essendon BNF. What a career he has had with the Bombers. Uh, good win for Merritt. Darcy Parrish, predictably the runner-up to Merritt. A major surprise coming in third, Will Snelling. Uh, boy, he's been a good pickup for the Bombers, but uh, I must say, I didn't expect him to poll that highly. He finished third. Jordan Ridley fourth. Jake Stringer in fifth spot. Uh, there's been a few others decided over the last week or so, so we'll just run through them quickly. Adelaide's Malcolm Blight medal was won by Rory Laird from Ben Keyes uh, and Paul Seedsman. Just quickly, Finey, uh, any update on the Ben Keyes trade rumour, which was widely uh, scoffed at, I've got to say, on my social media. Is that definitely not happening? Well, as I said, out of respect for the fact that um, the club and player are contracted, we'll leave it at that. But we know that that's not necessarily the be-all and end of the discussion, so we'll just watch. But no, he's an Adelaide player and had a great season. Okay. Uh, Brisbane, Dane Zorko winning there from Hugh McLuggage and Jared Lyons. Uh, other BNFs decided Gold Coast. Absolute runaway win for Took Miller. Absolutely no surprise there from Will Powell and David Swallow. Peter Crimmins medal at Hawthorne, won by Tom Mitchell from Blake Hardwick and Jager O'Meara, who uh, probably had his best season 
for the Hawks. And the one you mentioned, Finey, Richmond's won by a defender, at least, in Dylan Grimes. Equal runner-up, Jack Graham and Liam Baker, Shay Bolton. Another vote behind that pair. A uh, couple more. Your Saints, Jack Steele, predictably a runaway winner of that from Jack Sinclair and Tim Membry. Sydney's uh, Bob Skilton medal won by Luke Parker from Jake Lloyd and Jordan Dawson. And West Coast, Nick Natanui taking out another John Worsfold medal uh, from Dom Sheed and Andrew Gaff. So that's the wrap-up of the BNFs. Uh, anything there that uh, catches your eye, Finey? Probably your Bombers. As you say, Will Snelling in third is a real eyebrow raiser. And I've, I guess most people would have had Parrish ahead of merit for the season. But, of course, we know that Brownlow voting is very different to club voting. And club voting... Uh, requires consistency, and each club has a different method. So you see some players winning with 7,921 votes and other players winning with eight votes. It's particular to each club, and I guess Merritt may be a touch more consistent than Parrish. Is that the reason? Yeah, I think Merritt definitely finished off the season better. Um, so, yeah, no, no quibbles with that one at all. Uh, all right, uh, plenty more news going on. Uh, Carlton. Uh, they haven't had many wins lately, but uh, certainly had one in being able to lure uh, highly regarded and uh, veteran administrator Brian Cook, who had been chief executive of the Cats for 23 years. He is off to Carlton, of course, started his administrative career with West Coast. But uh, the man who, uh, along with Frank Costa, helped turn Geelong around off and on the field will bob up at Carlton as they attempt to restore their status in league footy. Uh, a real coup, that one. But um, they still can't get their man because Alistair Clarkson has had a conversation with Brian Cook and told him no again. So Alistair Clarkson won't be coaching the Blues next year and appears now finally the favourite to take on that role is Michael Voss. That come as any surprise to you? Well, probably not when you consider Carlton's modus operandi was to run through the names of the biggest coaches currently not coaching, Clarkson, of course, not knocking them on the head, um, you know, more times than the uh, bloke that can't get a dance at the school prom. They've been said no to a few times by Clarko. Uh, they tried, obviously, Brad Scott. They've gone down a few rabbit holes that have come up nada. So Michael Voss being a multi-premiership player, Brownlow medalist, one of the all-time superstars of the game, that seems to be the sort of man that fits Carlton's needs. Interestingly, Rowan, um, Carlton were the first ever team in the league to have a coach, Jock Worrell. Maybe they'll be trendsetters again and be the first team not to have a coach. <laughs> Oh, well, it's, it's sounding like Michael Voss is uh, looking more and more like he might be the man. I've got to say, though, I have been surprised at Carlton's apparent insistence that they get a senior experience coach. And uh, we have talked about this, but I mean, 16 of the last 17 AFL premierships have been won by coaches who were in their first ever senior gig. Mick Malthouse at Collingwood 
the only exception there. And I look at a guy like Adam Kingsley, who seems to now be falling into that perennial bridesmaid group. And Adam Kingsley has now been an assistant coach in the system for 15 years. And I tweeted something to this effect the other day, and it was interesting, uh, a number of AFL people and people who have worked on coaching groups uh, and been senior players and been part of coaching panels all said universally that Kingsley was an absolute gun. So, I mean, if you're talking about experience, I don't, I don't know, short of getting a senior gig, uh, what, how much more experience you can possibly have. So I really hope Kingsley does land a job somewhere because the reps on him are so huge. It'd be great to see whether he can live up to it. But Carlton seemed to be absolutely insistent that whoever it is, is someone who has already coached at senior level. You got any thoughts on that? Well, interesting that you said 16 out of the last 17 flags have gone the way of coaches in their first job because 16 of the current 17 coaches in the AFL, given the cut and don't have a coach, are at their first gig. Only Brett Ratton is a repeat coach. And of course, which club gave him the heave-ho? Carlton. So they are bucking the trend. I'm being facetious here, or am I, when I say, I get a feeling that around the Carlton boardroom, when they throw up names like Adam Kingsley or Jamie Graham, the rest of the board go, who? Never heard of him. Did he play league football? Where's he from? You know, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought up the name Jamie Graham and somebody said, isn't he a British chef? Oh, no, that's Jamie Oliver. I, I, I'm not sure whether they've got the depth of knowledge there to even appreciate the full field of contenders. And I guess that's where Brian Cook will offer invaluable help, not suggesting that Shane Liddell didn't know who these people were. And on Brian Cook, maybe they can resurrect their old slogan, can you smell what we're cooking? And (laughs) (laughs) get those bumper stickers going. And, of course, we know, Rowan. I wonder how many other people know, because I never hear him referred to as Geelong um, football CEO and, and... football supremo, uh, but ex-league footballer, because, of course, one of his, uh, he played league football and one of the teams competing for the premiership on Saturday in Perth had his services. Absolutely. Brian Cook, of course, did play four games for Melbourne back in 1977. Uh, all right, staying with the Blues too, because our last item in the uh, news feed this week is trade talk. And uh, the Age reporting on Wednesday morning, finally, that Sam Petrevsky-Seaton has requested a trade. Uh, he wants to go to Perth to play with West Coast. He's been a Blue for five years. Um, had a period there where he was looking like becoming a seriously good player for them. But fair to say he's probably plateaued a bit over the last couple of seasons. Is that a loss for them, do you think? Not in his current form. And I think this is really a case of he's going to be well served by picking up back in WA and having another crack of highly touted uh, top 10 recruit through the draft. And just his shortcomings seem to be lack of sort of durability and consistency, even within games. He's certainly shown flashes, but rarely put together that four-quarter effort that is required to play AFL football. It's a new start for him, and I don't think Carlton would be too upset 
by him moving back home. Some other trade news. Uh, young Geelong tall Nathan Kruger uh, looking to go to Collingwood. Uh, that would be, well, we haven't seen much of him, but uh, that would be a handy pickup for the Pies, you think, missing some key forward depth. And uh, the other potential out at the Cats is Jordan Clark, who's seeking a move home to his native WA and a deal with Fremantle. Uh, back on the Blues, George Hewitt looks like a, a four-year deal for the former Swan with Carlton. And uh, that would be a good pickup because I think he's proved himself to be a, a reasonably valuable run-with type player. Not necessarily a lot of those about now. Uh, Jordan Dawson, we spoke about last week, uh, a loss to the Swans. Uh, speculation about uh, Port Adelaide there, but it is their bitter rival, the Crows, with whom Jordan has decided to throw in his lot. And a surprising one for Port Adelaide, uh, finally, Peter Adams. Uh, pretty promising ruckman, I would have thought, uh, apparently being told to look elsewhere. Really strange one. They've said to Peter Adams that they're restructuring the forward line and it's got Lysette as the number one ruckman. Apparently they've got a couple of project ruckmen as well. That I think Sam Hayes is the one that they're really sort of pinning their future on. That this is going to be a time that he should look farther afield. Brisbane certainly in the market for a backup ruckman, no question. Have they got room in their cap? St Kilda made inquiries of Hayden McLean at the Sydney Swans. So Peter Laddam seems to fit that profile. Again, salary cap is the question. And there are clubs that need Ruckman, but how much are they able to pay and willing to pay for a Peter Laddams? I thought he finished the year pretty well, Rowan. And on George Hewitt, um, look, Carlton have not had a great record in their bigger price signings recently, have they? When you consider that there's still big money invested in Mitch McGovern, that's a bust. And, of course, we wait for Zach Williams to have a much better year next year. Otherwise, that'll be considered a real waste of 800 a year. But at 400 a year, the reported fee, four to 500 for Hewitt, I think it's a no-brainer. He plays every week, he's reliable, and certainly can sort of um, bulk out of midfield that doesn't have any obvious uh, accountable run with players. Really good pickup for the Blues. Yeah, well, Adams uh, would be a massive pickup. I can see a bit of a stampede for his services. Uh, experienced Ruckman, who tend to mature later, um, to be able to get a ready-made one. Uh, and a guy who can go forward and kick goals, he'd be a terrific pickup for someone. So it'd uh, be interesting to see how long that queue is. All right, that is the news segment for this week. We've got a grand final to preview, everyone, and we want to do it in a fair bit of detail. So let's do it now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. The 2021 AFL grand final being held at Perth's Optus Stadium. Uh, match time, 7.15pm on the Eastern Seaboard, 5.15pm locally. Of course, a twilight Grand final, presume the first half will be played in daylight and then a big halftime extravaganza. And then the second half under lights should be a terrific spectacle. The big one, what are Palmer Bet saying about the grand final? Well, as we record this on Wednesday morning, Melbourne, still pretty comfortable favourites on the head-to-heads. The Demons offering $1.65 
Western Bulldogs paying $2.25. The boys at Palmer Bet have also furnished us with some odds on Norm Smith medalist. The favourite for which is Melbourne's Christian Petrarca paying $6. Clayton Oliver, you can get $7 on him winning a Normie. The Bulldogs' first favourite in the Norm Smith stakes is Marcus Bontempelli at $8. Melbourne's Max Gorn paying $8. So three of the top four in Norm Smith betting Melbourne players. After that, it's Jack McRae paying $11. Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet, paying $15. Tom Liberatore, $17. Jack Viney, Melbourne skipper, $21. Every other player, $23 or greater. Stats Insider, they've got some big grand final stats for us. The Demons enter their first grand final appearance in 21 years as one of the most barnstorming grand finalists in some time. They lost just four games this season and by an average of only 12 points. While they're the first team since Essendon in 2000 to win each of their six games against top four opponents. Last season, the Demons were the league's definitively worst tackling team. This season, they're ranked number one. And that's a main reason they've dwarfed the league in intercept possessions and ultimately have easily the league's stingiest points-per-game defence. For the Bulldogs to win, they'll need to rely on many of the ingredients they used in their Round 19 defeat of Melbourne. In that game, the Dogs lost the disposal and tackle count and the hitouts by 49 yet were able to give Melbourne a taste of their own medicine where exceptional defensive intensity was concerned. The 88 clangers Melbourne made that night were easily the most the Dogs have extracted all season while keeping Melbourne to a minuscule 60% disposal efficiency, down from the 70% the Demons have averaged over this season. If the Dogs are to bring the heat once again, it's something that needs to be established early. The Dogs went on to lose five of their six games when they were trailing at halftime, whereas Melbourne were 12 and zip when they enjoyed a lead at the main break. That would appear pretty significant. So keep your eye on those halftime scores. May tell you what they're going to be at the finish. What about selection, Finey? We're not tipping too many changes, but a couple of massive ins for the Bulldogs this week. Yeah, so let's start with the Bulldogs. Cody Waitman, ready to go after he was uh, out with the concussion protocol. Big in because he provides so much to that forward line. And likewise, Alex Keith has been solid as a rocking defence. He's over his hamstring concerns. He comes into the team. Looks like Ryan Gardner is going to be the unlucky defender to miss out. Did nothing wrong in the big win over Port Adelaide. And Latham Vandermeer came off late in that game um, with uh, just some tightness in the upper leg. That's not going to keep him out. It's going to be Waitman that will keep him out. And I think he'll end up going to the injury subs bench. And that's bad luck for young Anthony Scott in his first season for the Doggies. And this is out altogether. That's my prediction. We'll wait to see on Thursday night for the official word. As for the Demons, they most likely will go in unchanged after their thumping win over the Cats. I'll say this, though, that Jaden Hunt does wait in the wings. He provides run, 
and Hibbert played in that game against Geelong. Remember, Geelong have a large forward line with those three big forwards and DeSava Radigalia, and I'm including Rowan in the bigger category. Is that why Hibbert played? Is he in danger? I think you don't change the winning formula. James Jordan, either way to stay is the injury sub, Rowan. Yes, okay. Well, that will be interesting to keep an eye on. Let's preview this grand final by looking at different areas of the ground. Uh, let's start with the Bulldogs forward set up against the Melbourne defence. Now, we talk about two sides pitting their strengths against each other. This is a terrific example of that. Melbourne, of course, as you heard the boys from Stats Insider say, ranked number one in the competition for fewest points conceded. Also number one this year for fewer scores conceded per opposition inside 50. In fact, just 35% is significantly lower than even the second-ranked team. So their defence has been absolutely outstanding. However, they are up against a pretty potent forward setup. The Bulldogs finished the season proper ranked number two for scores behind only Brisbane. And they're ranked number one for scores per inside 50. And that was a pretty healthy strike rate of 46%. Uh, more to the point, they've rebounded really well from the loss of Josh Bruce. It seemed to throw them for a few weeks there. And that coincided, of course, with them losing games. But Josh Shackey has come back into that forward setup finey and uh, is starting to uh, play a dual role, keeping opposition rebounding defenders quiet. Uh, but also being able to hit the scoreboard himself. You've got Aaron Norton and Tim English as the key targets in a, a marking sense. Cody Waitman is some real X factor there. You've got midfielders who kick goals. Bailey Smith has done that this final series. And I think a potential uh, wild card here is Mitch Hannon, who has uh, kicked, I think, six goals in the three finals so far, but three in the preliminary final and caused Port all manner of headaches up there. So it's a fantastic uh, matchup of a great attack against a terrific defence. Of course, Melbourne's defence, the key men there, Stephen May and Jake Weaver, uh, the Bulldogs have to try and uh, keep them occupied and stop their capacity to rebound. Spot on. I mean, they have sort of ruled the roost and run roughshod over opposition this year. And when they're allowed to basically work as a dynamic duo, one taking the responsibility to spoil the other intercept mark and setting up big rebounds with the likes of Salem, Rivers coming out of the back line, Hunt if he plays. Uh, there tends to be a Melbourne victory at the end of the rainbow. So what do the Bulldogs offer in opposition to that? Well, I think you'd be optimistic to say that Josh Shackey's going to come out as he did against Port Adelaide and not only play that defensive role brilliantly, but also, in the end, become a real offensive problem, as he was in that game. His record doesn't suggest that he's just going to play week in, week out, good attacking, damaging football. But what we do know is that he will be responsible and, I'm sure, fulfil the contract of keeping one of those defenders honest. For me, most likely, Jake Lever will be his target. There is a slight question mark. I mean, Stephen May came off with a hamstring injury two weeks ago, Rowan. The two-week hammy doesn't really exist, but the good news is that he came back on. So it's a little look-see for me on that one. 
Um, Katie Waitman, that's a big inclusion, isn't it? He's such a live wire, and not only on the ground, but in the air as well, makes him almost impossible for a really small backman to take care of. He's going to require a special watch. In the end, though, doesn't it always come down to your biggest forward? If Aaron Norton wraps his hands around the ball like he did early against Port Adelaide, Melbourne will have some thinking to do in the coach's box and also amongst those core defenders. I, I feel that Aaron Norton is his own man and he's normally on song. And if he if he is, it sets things up really well for the doggies. Um, I haven't mentioned Harrison Petty. He's the sort of quiet, hard-working, um, blue-collar defender, but he'll play an important role and he could even spend time on the likes of a Norton because he's mobile and fairly strong. So he could be a thorn in the side of the Bulldogs' attack. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, I think, has to give May and Lever a bit of a chop out on Norton and English and allow them to zone off and play that intercept game that they do so well. Uh, let's switch to the other end of the ground now and the Melbourne forward line up against the Bulldog defence. This is equally interesting. Melbourne finished the season ranked fifth for points scored. Um, the Bulldogs were fourth for fewest points conceded. So uh, the defence and uh, Melbourne's attack ranked pretty much equally the same. Melbourne, when they were struggling, we were really worried about their capacity to kick some scores. And they had some pretty low scores, including that loss to the Western Bulldogs. But I think, finally, the inclusion of Ben Brown in that Melbourne forward setup has really changed the dynamic. It's allowed the likes of Bailey Fritch to get off the chain more, and he's been in terrific goal-kicking form. But the turnaround is quite stark. When you look at Melbourne's scoring record, um, they'd posted 100-point-plus tallies three times in the first seven rounds. They then posted none at all for the next 11 games until their round 20 smashing of Gold Coast. And since then, in six games, they've done it another three times. Of course, they smashed Gold Coast, um, comfortable winners over Adelaide, and of course, smashing Port Adelaide in the preliminary final. Ben Brown has been pivotal to that in those games. He kicked four against the Suns, three against West Coast, two each against Adelaide and Geelong, one against Brisbane in the qualifying final and two against the Cats in the preliminary when he helped get them off to a pretty good start. So that's a tally of 14 goals across the last six games, more than two per game. If they can get that out uh, from him in the grand final, Finey, uh, they'll be smiling. Bailey Fritch is clearly a key. Uh, Cozzy Pickett, his ground-level defensive pressure and X-factor, if you like, um, at the feet of the big men, also pivotal. And Luke Jackson and Max Gordon in their spells off the ball could be instrumental as well. Of course, Max Gordon bobbing up with five in the preliminary final. I reckon if that happens again, uh, Melbourne certainly win. Either way, it's a tougher job for the Bulldog defence than you would have thought might have been the case, say, five or six weeks ago. I agree. I love Melbourne's forward line in that it has players that just are different enough to provide coverage problems for any defence from the long-leading, long-run-up man, Ben Brown, who you have correctly pointed out, has been 
pivotal to a far better output from that four line. I think because he covers so much ground and needs to be obviously um, manned up, that does create some openings. And Bailey Fritch is a smart footballer that knows exactly where to go when the long-leading Ben Brown gets on his bike. And he's really been the beneficiary. Cosie Pickett's back in really good form as he was at the start of the season. Dangerous on the ground and a beautiful finisher. Underrated how well he caps off his work. Jackson, interestingly now, becomes the less dangerous resting ruckman than Max Gorn is with those five goals, four of them in the third quarter in the preliminary final smashing of the Cats. Now, I'll say this and make it very clear that the Melbourne forward line has to also be accountable, Rowan. There's no question that they've got the ability to score, but we know that the Bulldogs set up so much from the back half with the likes of Caleb Daniel especially being the architect. So there's more at hand for Melbourne than just the scoreboard. Charlie Spargo will be very important there. Keep an eye on Caleb Daniel and you might be breaking the drought, Melbourne. But as I say, more than just scoreboard for the Melbourne front half. Yeah, Bailey Dale, another really good rebounder and uh, good user of the footy too. Yeah, yeah, very much so. This year. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're right, Melbourne do have to keep them accountable and prevent that rebound. At the same time, uh, I think Melbourne's forward setup has a chance to exploit the Bulldogs perhaps for a bit of height and strength. So you've got Alex Keith coming back. Uh, we think Zane Cordy, but it'll be either or Zane Cordy or Ryan Gardner. But beyond that, there's not a great deal of height there, is there? You've got Easton Wood who can play tall and take a mark. But it's aside from him, it's Daniel, it's Dale and it's Taylor Duray. So they're more a rebounding defence than uh, a big, strong defence, aren't they? So if Brown fires, if Jackson fires, if Gorn fires down there, if Bailey Fritch does some good aerial work, that could really stretch the dog's defence. I think that's their big challenge. You agree? Spot on. And Gorn just adds that extra dimension because I don't think we were considering Gorn as an offensive threat until, well, I, I think we knew he was, but until it all came to fruition and really absolutely put that game beyond doubt in a preliminary final, it was more a theory than rather a fact. And if it worked against the Cats, it can definitely work against the Bulldogs. I I agree. Keith will be a welcome addition. And unfortunately, there's just no way that they can play Ryan Gardner, I don't think, without dropping Eastern Wood. And he would have been a handy third tall defender. But Wood plays, there's no doubt. And all the others play for important reasons. I mean, DeRay is a great lockdown defender, quietly effective. And, of course... Uh, we know that that is not going to change. So you're right. That could be a real point of danger for the Bulldogs. It means whoever's in the ruck has to be absolutely accountable. Big job for Martin and English, but we'll get to that when we look at the mids. Well, let's do that right now. In fact, uh, that's a really good place to start because the midfield battle, these are the two strongest suits of either side. It's going to be sensational game within a game almost. And uh, there are two games within that game, I think, because you've got the ruck battle, as you just alluded to, and the ground level battle. Now, 
clearly the four Max Gorners in the ruck battle is huge. So a massive job for Stephen Martin, Gorn's former Melbourne teammate now, of course, at the Western Bulldogs. Uh, his job is double-barreled, really, isn't it? He has to uh, work Gorn over physically. He has to stretch him athletically. He has to keep him accountable. The longer he can do that, the more effectively he can do that, the greater the opportunity for Tim English to play effectively as a key forward for the doggies and hopefully for them hit the scoreboard. If Martin starts getting uh, chopped up by Gorn, English has to spend more time on the ball, which robs Peter to pay Paul in terms of the Bulldogs' strength and uh, means that Luke Jackson probably gets a freer reign similarly for Melbourne in other areas of the ground. So the ruck uh, contests in this game are absolutely massive, aren't they? They, they are, and look, uh, as my only concern with Stefan Martin was in that comeback game in the preliminary final against Port, he was definitely effective, but he seemed to be limping by halfway through the second quarter. Now, I'll, I'll say this, as long as his body stands up, he is a, a tyro, and this grand final late in his career comes as a bonus, but something that he is well and truly up for. And I think exactly the sort of battle and challenge that he loves. Rather than, to me, ever being an offensive threat, he's great at being accountable and making his opposition, Ruckman, really know that you've come up against a big-bodied, experienced Ruckman. I think... I'm going to back Martin in on this one to be not only accountable, but hard work for the likes of Gorn and definitely young Jackson. He's going to be physical. All right. Well, let's uh, have a look at uh, where the star class really resides, and that's at the feet of the Ruckman. Uh, fantastic talent on display there, obviously, for Melbourne, Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca. But Jack Viney, not to be underestimated either. He's had two... Really good finals for the Demons. I think it was 34 disposals in their preliminary final win. And that blocking work and clearance work, and I think he led the clearance count for the Demons in both finals wins, really enables Oliver and Petrarca to get off the chain and be more damaging and creative out of those centre square contests, particularly where the Bulldogs might have an edge here is just in midfield depth. Certainly no issue about the class either, but it's the numbers as much as anything. And we're talking, of course, about Marcus Bontempelli, Jack McRae, Tom Liberatore, Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet, Josh Dunkley, uh, Lockie Hunter and Adam Trelaw. That is a formidable group of seven quality midfielders. And it gives the dogs some flexibility, doesn't it? There's been some speculation, Josh Dunkley, whose game has been steadily improving with each final, could do a defensive role on Clayton Oliver, certainly at the stoppages. That enables a Bailey Smith to uh, exert, uh, creep forward more and kick more goals, as he had. Liberatore has been outstanding in the uh, in and under stuff and would be a good match for uh, Viney, you'd think. And McRae, just absolutely outstanding and still underrated as a huge possession winner, but a guy who can really set up so many Bulldog scores. Bontempelli, well, he could be uh, a potential Norm Smith medalist. So just fascinating midfield matchups all over the place, Finey. It's just a, a festival of uh, great football as the midfield battle. I cannot recall a grand final where 
heading into the game, at least, the midfields are so powerful and equally matched. So I know that Brisbane in their early century of this century, three-peat, had a magnificent midfield, but I don't think any of their opponents could honestly say that they went man for man with them. Melbourne can make that claim, though, with the return to form of Jack Viney. He was great in the preliminary final, playing as good a football as I've seen him play. Brayshaw not to be underestimated. And don't forget that while Trelaw sits on one wing for the Bulldogs, Ed Langdon back at uh, his old stomping ground in WA hasn't been as good this year as last year, but I think could be a little bit of an under-the-radar potential star performer for the Demons. The Dogs do hold a few aces in this showdown. You know, when you look at the cards, when they fold over, I think you rightly point out that there is room in that Melbourne, in the Bulldogs midfield to maybe do some man-on-man work that might test Melbourne's overall depth. Dunkley, a key component there, no question. Maybe DeRay even could be pressed into that sort of service. I do love Bailey Smith's form because when you do, in the end, maybe take somebody to Bontempelli going the other way for Melbourne and doing a defensive job. You can't really stop Liberatore. You can't stop McRae. And then with their guaranteed possession, high possession games, Smith has worked out how to be the beneficiary and is in absolute cherry form. I think that this game wins and loses on the midfield and Melbourne do have superstars. Stay with the doggies. Maybe the deeper back could be the say at the end of the game. All right, time to put out you-know-what's on the line. I've got to say, I've never had more trouble deciding who I was tipping in a grand final than this year. I really haven't. They are just so evenly matched, I think, and I I find the odds uh, quite surprising. I think it's a lot closer than the bookmakers are suggesting. They've met twice this year. The scores are one-all. Both victories achieved by either side in similar fashion shutting down the opponents, uh, ball use and scoring prowess. Great midfields, their strengths square off against each other. It's just so hard to tip a winner. But in the end, after much agonising, Fawny, I'm going for the Demons to break their 57-year premiership drought. Um, I think they're back to playing a great brand of footy that they were playing at the start of the season when they won those nine games straight. Uh, I think there's an evenness about them across the board. And I think the final icing on the cake, if you like, has been the resurgence of that forward setup with Ben Brown coming into the team. They look potent. And I think, as we said, they can really stretch the Bulldogs' defence. And that's absolutely no disrespect to the Doggies. I think they're a wonderful team. And uh, I've backed them in all year. But I just can't go past Melbourne's form. It's been outstanding, but for a, a couple of little lapses from which they've recovered. They've been resilient. They've been tough. Uh, they've been breathtaking on occasion. I think they tick all the boxes. And I think uh, in an age where plenty of football fairy tales are being written fine, including one written by the Bulldogs five years ago, I think we're about to see the Demons add another chapter to that. I'm going for Melbourne to win this grand final by just two points. What say you? I've also sort of waxed and waned on this one, Rowan. And I'm pleased to say in one way that 
my heart's not going to rule my brain over this decision. And why I say that is because invariably in grand finals where my team's not playing, I still find one side that I would like to see win over the other. May it be some old rivalries here in Victoria that I can't put aside your team included. I really want to see them win one, Carlton or Collingwood, and I'm not too keen on the interstaters generally. But Melbourne and the Bulldogs have always been teams like my own, St Kilda, that have been searching for a premiership, and I, I find a place in my heart for both of them. So this is very much a cold and calculated decision. And I lean towards the team that has that midfield depth, the Bulldogs. And the reason I picked them is this. Melbourne's defence has been the cornerstone of their success this year, I believe. It's fantastic. But it's not the defence, I feel, that is going to have to stop the Bulldogs kicking a winning score. That midfield of the Bulldogs has goals in them. We know Bontempelli kicks goals. We now know Smith. Well, we always knew it, but we're, what a danger he is, Bailey Smith, as a goal kicker. Tom Libertore kicked the first two goals, I think, of the preliminary final. There's also goals in Dunkley. I've got no doubt about it. Now, that's, to me, where the doggies are going to win. Not just the arm wrestle around the ball, but the scores provided by their midfield. So, for me, the Bulldogs, by 17 points, in a bit of a classic, Rowan, I'm really looking forward to it. I know you, I know you are, and I think all footy fans are. Oh, absolutely. It could be one of the great grand finals. And there you go. We talk about things being even. We can't even uh, get a consensus with our tipping. Finey going for the Bulldogs by 17 points. I'm going for Melbourne by two points. And as Rowan, do you want to have a crack at the Norm Smith? Uh, yeah, well, I was just going to come up with the commentary zinger there. As Peter Ewan said at the end of the 77 grand final draw, we're all even. It's a tie. Uh, I, I will throw in a Norm Smith tip. Uh, I'm tipping Christian Petrarca, the favourite. I just think he's made for the big stage. He's explosive. And I could see him uh, kicking two or three goals and having a 30-plus possession game. Your tip? Well, on the back of my midfield confidence for the Bulldogs, I'm going to go for Tom Liberatore. I, look, these grand finals invariably great ones are also tight tussles and no man better in a tight tussle. I always like throwing a roughie in and I think Caleb Daniel can be really damaging as well. So uh, Tom for the Tom for the short odd punters or shorter odds. And if you want to have a bit of a splash at odds with our mates at Palmer bet, have a crack at Caleb Daniel. Bet responsibly. All right. Uh, there it is. Uh, you won't hear a more extensive grand final preview than that, I'd suggest. Uh, it's been a good show. It's been uh, full of fun. And there's only one way to finish that off. And that is by us going back and revisiting some of the greatest grand final moments in history. <laughs> Footy well, uh, this is the peak of football flashbacks. Of course, the most important game of the season. Haven't there been some grand final epics over the years? But I've got to say, Finey, I keep coming back to this one. I wouldn't put it number one in terms of greatest grand finals ever. I think that has to be 1970 for various reasons. But having attended 
49 grand finals, and I've been stuck on that number now for two years thanks to COVID. Uh, there is one which is a clear number one for me in terms of the greatest grand finals uh, I have been present at, and it's not all that far back. The year is 2012, Hawthorne up against Sydney, an amazing game, and uh, we've put together here a little extended highlights package of what is the greatest grand final I've witnessed with my own eyes. Let's have a listen. So the two coaches. Ellis! How about that for us now? Seen goods at both ends of the ground already. We expect that from him. Saul, so industrious, trying to get the ball out. Malczewski, a left footer. Can he get the hook? It's pretty good. It's a chance. It's a goal. It was very, very good. Roost has it, looks inside, slips a hand pass away. Fuopolo thumps it down towards half forward. Fancies himself in the race. Hacks it away from Grundy. Chance for Young. Goals open up. Decides to go to Bruce. Bruce needs to kick it now. And he does. Again, 44 goals for the season. That one-on-one that Young won against Malczewski so important. Mitchell forward. And now Hawthorne with another big opportunity. As Gunston rolls at home. What a finish to the opening turn. There's Johnson again, digs them in hard. Little hand pass to Malcheski, finds himself in space, up the middle of the ground like a surgeon's knife. Hanabry gives the hand pass to O'Keefe. Brilliant by the Swans. Reed lines up at goal. It does not get better than that. Wonderful goal to Sydney. So Matna obviously off his line and then takes Mitchell on. He's a long left footer, and that is a long left foot. Good's in a good spot. And yes, he does. Oh, no, not paid. Maybe he didn't. Morton has to fish for it. Still fishing. No one's got him. And he's hooked a big one. He's streeted everybody else on the field. That time he couldn't win the football. Malczewski inside the forward 50. Bounces off the chest of Reed. Brilliant by Robert Thompson. Falling to the ground. Hand pass forward inside the 50 by Jack. Socket off the ground by Goods. He can kick a goal, this man. Morton puts it through. That's his second. It's a remarkable game he's played. McVeigh also been good now. This is Jenner. He'll take off now. Does he cut inside? It's a lovely oh, kick. He's used the ball brilliantly. And then Jack, it's a good man to have it now, you'd reckon. It's Kennedy. It's a goal. They're going to be hard to beat. Comes forward to the pack, onto the loose ball. One of his rare opportunities, Birchall, to build something from the back. Can he make the most of it? Runs to midfield. Again, this is where their problems start to begin. Well, Franklin makes it easy, takes the mark. Surrounded by Swans, lines up, hasn't got the carry. It's a goal. That could be a lifter. Proust with the free kick then. They're trying to move it quickly. They feel they've got a chance here, and that's the man they need to move it quickly to. Franklin wheels around, hasn't got the carry. I think so. Buddy Franklin, long range, gets the goal. Two points the difference. The Hawks right back in it. Yeah, that City end dominating Saul. Rioli starting to get busy. Mitchell, they'll be in front in a minute. Here's Smith on the burst. 50 metres out. Less than a minute. 
Let's go out at Munford, directs it down. O'Keefe went to ground. Sliding in was Mitchell. Hale the snap. And Hale's kicked the goal. David Hale, something out of nothing. Hot was Bird, played it brilliantly. Labouring, but doing well as goods. Floats one to the advantage of Matna. Tracks it back. On the assist, just lurking away here is Jenna. He'll get the ball now. Slaps it forward. Taken by Hanabry. Able to line up Hanabry and kick a goal. Cupping that forward space. Richards has kicked. Held up a bit. Bolton bangs it forward. Can they create here? They need a lucky bounce. Morton, can he take them all on? He'll need to. He did pretty well. He did very well. Jack running onto it with Young. This is big. This is really big. It's a dead set, massive moment. So back to Grundy. And then off a step to fall forward. Big fly, Bird. Goods, could he roll it through? He can. Come off the moment. Come off the champion. Hawthorne can get that quick kick out. A grand final from the top shelf. There's the bounce. Both Ruckman hanging on. Kennedy can't emerge with the football, not forward by Savage. Hanabry to Malchesky. Is that the grand final? Sydney of Premiers. Hey, Smith can't quite get it, but he held up. Hanabry's been magnificent. Malchesky, two goals that he'll never forget. And they're home all right. They've done it. What a team. That culture, the bloods. That's what it's all about. Well, it's a game that really incredibly had so many wonderful moments where you thought either team had grabbed the premiership. Rowan, you rate it extremely highly, the best you've ever seen. Out of 49 grand finals, that's high praise indeed. Why? Because you've seen some of the close ones. Uh, you've seen all of the close ones in that time. And there have been some other classics, you know, Sydney involved in a couple against West Coast, a drawn grand final with Collingwood and St Kilda. There've been some great grand finals. Why do you elevate this one to the top of the top of your pecking order? Well, one reason above any other, and that is it is the only grand final in which there have been three separate comebacks. So we saw Hawthorne get out to a comfortable lead. Sydney overhauled that and then got out to a comfortable lead themselves. Um, eight goals straight they kicked and, in fact, got out to a 28-point lead there early in the third quarter. Hawthorne then hit back with an incredible burst of seven unanswered goals, including in that third quarter, five in, I think, 12 minutes. And a couple of goals of Franklin and then Isaac Smith from an ex-centre bounce on the run, which gave Hawthorne the lead again. Just staggering stuff. They then kicked the first two goals of the last quarter through uh, Luke Bruce and David Hale. Two goals up, and you thought, well, the Swans are cooked. You know, Hawthorne have kicked the last seven goals. And then the Swans found a way again. Dan Hanabry, uh, then Kieran Jack with that famous moment where Clinton Young slipped over in the square. Adam Goods on one leg puts him a goal up. And then that amazing, amazing snap from Nick Malcheski, who kicked the first and last goals of the game. It just hung in the air and just that that sort of three or four seconds when you're watching that floating snap and thinking, is this a goal? Have Sydney just won the flag? Brilliantly called too by Dennis Cometti. It just had everything. There hasn't been another grand final with that many um, swings and roundabouts, different uh, comebacks, great individual performances, brave individual performances. It was tough. 
but there was still free-flowing good footy. The amazing uh, sprint around the outer wing between Lewis Jetta and Cyril Rioli. It just had absolutely everything this game. An underdog got up. I mean, they were they were pretty, uh, not rank outsiders, but they certainly weren't favoured to win. I just can't think of a grand final that's had so many different things in its favour, and that's why I make it number one. Uh, you make a great case. Great grand final and a wonderful package. Well done, Roker. All right. Well, your turn. Uh, I, I had no part in your decision, but uh, we've all got our favourite grand finals. Finey, what have you gone with? 1966. Ah, there you go. And, well, I'm a St Kilda supporter, but it is an amazing grand final, again, because of the close nature of the game, because of the opportunities the loser actually had to win this game, and because, now it's 55 years since that St Kilda Premiership and they haven't repeated the dose, but you've got to realise that even at that point, uh, St Kilda were not the only team without a premiership. North Melbourne also didn't have a flag at that stage, but they had been in the competition since 1897, St Kilda, and part of the VFA as a foundation member, getting on towards their 100th year of existence, and they'd never tasted glory. Truly, one of the um, Cinderella stories was them making the grand final the year before against Essendon. They lost. So everything was on the line. They were the absolute pick of the impartials. And adding to this great game, I think, and I know you agree on this score, is maybe the most memorable commentary of all time. As Mike Williamson, Butch Gale and Ted Whitten rode every bump, you got a sense very much so that they were there to see St Kilda win the game. And their nervousness came through in the call. So we've not only included those famous moments, Rowan, but, of course, famously, Mike Williamson said, I tipped this. We go back into the second quarter, not about three quarters of the way through to find out when he actually made that tip. I think a lot of people think it must have been prior to the game, but it was during the game. So we hear that commentary and there's the added bonus here, not part of the official commentary. We hear Alan Jeans urging his team on during the three-quarter time break and also a post-game shout from the Doc Bulldog to Alan Jeans, who responds wonderfully and famously in a moment that St Kilda supporters cherish straight after the game in the room. So there's plenty to enjoy in this one. 1966, the MCG, the grand final, St Kilda versus Collingwood. And there we find the Saints going into action. Baldock has the opportunity. He won the toss and elected to kick to the Richmond end goal. And it's a three-goal wind advantage, according to our men here. A free kick has been given. Hutchison in a bit of strife. He doesn't get his kick at all. He had a bit of time there. He was in two minds. And the result of this, a free kick. It's going to Breen of St Kilda. Breen now is on the wing position on the outer side. Takes his kick. Not a bad one. In towards centre half forward once again. They're looking for Baldock all right. Knocked away by Gavilich. Comes down here to Young Davis. Here's Baldock now, Mr Magic. He goes away, but a free kick is being paid to Alan Davis. Alan Davis takes his kick. Oh, it's a long one too. It's going to the goal square. They face the mark. Kevin Neal has put it through. Even Stevens scores level at the MCG in the 1966 Grand Final. 
a fitting tribute to both sides. I tell you what, I'll predict now, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if this turned out to be a draw. Oh, come on, Michael. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying it will, but I wouldn't be surprised. There's the kick from Murray. They fly for it. In comes a Rose. Allows Wallace to chip in. Wallace kicks one high. They all fly for it. Down it comes to Tottenham. Here's a go. Tottenham's kick is spotted. It's taken by Sirokovsky. He races around from the back pocket on the member stand side. Tries oh, a hand pass. Should have had a kick. He's let Collingwood in here. Hutchison across. Another hand pass to Tottenham. Tottenham to Richardson. Richardson from the boundary. Kicks. Grand final by one point. 
I'm shaking. I don't know how you feel, but that's the most emotional thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Watch, I just put the lighter end of the cigarette into my mouth. I always thought if we tried hard enough, long enough, uh, it would eventually come. It has happened. It's a wonderful thing. I neither have the talent nor the ability to really express my feelings, but wherever you boys ever go or whatever happens to you, I'll always remember you for this wonderful moment you gave me. Uh, I've got to say, I, I think I love the commentary more than I love the game finding. I did uh, write a massive uh, piece about this back in 1996 on the 30th anniversary of the win and interviewed Mike Williamson at length and he um, he told the story. In fact, I think I tweeted that recently if uh, someone wants to go looking for it. But the commentary exchange is just fantastic. How long have they been playing, Mike? They've been playing. If my hand will stop shaking, I can see the watch. 27 and a half minutes. Hit the boundary line. Uh, slow it down. Slow it down. Stick with Brian Mine not took the mark. <laughs> Take right. your time. Slow it down. What slow about, it uh, down. What about I, just... I do, I do love Rowan just on that. When he did tip that this could be a draw, Bush Gale's very dismissive of it at the time. The scores were level at the time, by the way. And uh, I, I've got to say, can't pick it up. Well, on the audio, but the goal that wait, and we do have the audio of that as part of the package. The goal Wayne Richardson kicks to break the tie in that at that time it was four six apiece. Wayne Richardson kicks a miracle goal. Unfortunately, it was Wayne Richardson that um, missed everything, I think, and could have actually won Collingwood the game late in the match. So hero to villain, but. That was the case with a few players, and it could have been anything that game. Did Ted, did Des Tudman, who was great, have to kick? Could he have taken a couple more bounces, Rowan? And Bob Murray's mark, is that as good? I think it is as Leo Barry's. Well, it was certainly as crucial in the circumstances. I just like uh, EJ's uh, incredibly impartial commentary, particularly the bit where Williamson goes... Can the Saints hang on or win their first ever? To which Ted's response is, they've got it! Um, <laughs> and, of course, uh, that famous bit, we've got this as well. Uh, you would have heard this uh, after the game when, of course, uh, Bush Gale gives a very emotional, uh, he says, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And <laughs> watch Mike Williamson's reply. He says, uh, Butch, I just put the lighted end of a cigarette in my mouth. you know what the modern caller tends to be for these moments pre-prepared and wanting to be remembered for all time with a piece of commentary gold that can be quoted and and replayed over and over these guys had no such thoughts but i think they're more more quotable just about than anybody else uh, well, certainly a lot of us footy tragics who know a lot of it off by heart Uh, fantastic (laughs) flashback fantastic grand final memories and that's it for our grand final preview podcast uh the best of luck and really serious about this best of luck to fans of both clubs involved and uh, everyone else well let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope it's a great game uh it's been a lot of fun doing this grand final preview of course we are always 
proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. What about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? Uh, well, it's been a magnificent season of commitment. But also burgers from our friends at Andrews Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. If you're within the zone on grand final night, which it is here in Melbourne, have a burger, fries and even a shake from the best place in town, Andrews Burgers. And uh, speaking of shakes, we had one here in Melbourne. A little earthquake and we trust that everybody came through unscathed and houses, and I know which houses did, those built by West Point Properties, they're modern, they're beautifully put together, wonderfully appointed. Thank you, Nick Spartels and the team. And thanks also to another official footyology partner, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the business. They work with a range of more than 15 sports across the world, and they simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand the range of possible outcomes and probability of each result. Some wonderful writing, uh, the finest of Australian independent sports journalism on their site too, all free to use. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter while you're at it, at statsinsider. All right, you'll be hearing from us again when we wrap up the 2021 AFL Grand Final. We will be recording that on Sunday, so look out for that. But before then, make sure you tune in for our live stream, Footyology Final Siren, after the Grand Final on Saturday evening. Uh, We had a massive post-Grand Final show last year and looking to do it again. It's a lot of fun. Jump on the live stream either on my Twitter account, Uh, Rowan underscore Connolly or my Facebook page and uh, jump in with your questions, which we will go through as well as a full breakdown of the grand final recently decided. Footyology final siren following the game on Saturday evening. Well, fingers crossed we get one of the great grand finals. We say it every year, but uh, boy, the indications are that this really could be one of the classics. Let's hope so. Until then, enjoy your footy. We'll catch you later.